this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. pray one more time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your divine word that you have given to us. And I pray this morning that our hearts would be open and soft and eager to hear from you, that we would learn from you and grow in you together this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, band. It was good. Tim, the bass was absolutely pumping. I love that first song. So good. All right. Okay, let me ask you, who was the greatest Old Covenant prophet? Who was the greatest? Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Eddie's got a little grin. What's going to happen? <laughs> According to Jesus, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John the Baptist was the last and the greatest old covenant prophet. He was the end of the law and the beginning of the promise. And it's interesting that Jesus says he was the greatest because his ministry looks quite different to some of these older guys. It was short. His life was short. He he didn't have these sort of incredibly sort of full-on prophecies like Daniel or, you know, like it's an interesting, you don't sort of think of, him as as great in that sense but Jesus said he was the greatest and we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist today because there's things that we can learn and and he was great God chose John to break 430 years of divine silence so the the old testament ends and then there's this, there's this silence. And then the New Testament starts 430 years later. And two of the four Gospels start with John the Baptist, not Jesus. Because I always like, I love to read the whatever, we're, like if it's Christmas, I always like to read the Christmas story. And then same with Easter. I'm super keen for this series. And you're like, all right, birth of Jesus. Whereas, and you're like, John the Baptist. Like he gets a lot of airtime for someone who's not Jesus at the start of the Gospels. Like Luke starts with not the arrival of Jesus, but the arrival of John. And Mark is the shortest gospel. He doesn't even do Christmas. He doesn't even do the birth of Jesus. He's just like straight to adults. Yep, he arrived as a baby. We all know that. Let's get on with it. But he still starts with John the Baptist. He's John's ministry. So there's something incredibly significant about this life and this guy, this great prophet who led the way for Jesus. 
So we're going to look at three things today that we can learn from the life of John the Baptist. And the very first one is that he was called. This life that he led, it was his destiny. There were prophecies about him and, and the way that his birth came was incredible. So his, his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were old and they didn't have children and it was like, wasn't going to happen. And then an angel appears to Zechariah and he says this, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What an incredible purpose, destiny for this, this unborn child. And then, we, you know, I love that picture of um, Mary meeting Elizabeth and the baby which is John, leaps in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. So John, as a fetus, not a clump of cells, a spirit-filled being, sensed Jesus and knew, and knew. He was onto it. Children know what's going on. Like, children, they, they get it, man. I get Jeannie to pray for me. If there's no one home, I'm like, can you lay hands on my neck, Jeannie? She's like, she says, Jesus, amen. It's great. That's all you need. Jesus, amen. That'll do. I'm healed. And so it's uh, already there's this very cool lesson from Elizabeth and Zechariah in trusting God's perfect timing because they were old, they wanted a child, they couldn't have one. And now they're told, okay, we're going to have this child, great. But they're like, we're pretty old. Like, thank you, Lord, but why now? Why not earlier? And it's like, because it's John and he's preparing the way for Jesus. It has to be right now. The timing was perfect. And all those years that they'd waited they didn't know how perfect it was going to be because it was going to be John and he was going to prepare the way for Jesus. So he grows up in the spirit. And um, in Luke 3, we read this about him. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It is as it is written in, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So his entire ministry was about pointing to the one who was greater than he, preparing the way. Why is it that the one who prepares the way is so significant in these in these books, in, the, in this moment, that, that, that the setup was so important? Well, you know, it's cool because in some ways it's actually a picture of the life and the call on our lives that, that we don't save people, but our whole life, our conduct and relationships and, and words and countenance should all prepare a way and point to one greater than us. That everything we do, every interaction that we have should be a way to go, look, Jesus, look at him here, there. And it's been a really cool thing to, as I'm, I'm reading about John and thinking about this specific calling that he had, how can I help prepare the way for Jesus in somebody's life? 
look at Matt and, you know, his grandfather, like preparing the way for Matt to encounter Jesus and go on his own journey of salvation. Like those Bible stories were not just cute moments that was preparing the way for Jesus and you know I was praying for one of my neighbors this week and that was my prayer how can I because I don't it's a bit of a complicated anyway I'm like I'm praying how can I prepare the way for Jesus in her life and you know dad preached a great message a couple of weeks ago about evangelism and going into the world and it's a great way to consider because people's journey to Christ is not linear you know it's it's kind of it can be pretty interesting and so it's like where do I fit in that journey how can I be a part of that journey and and there can be many 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 people that we can help lead the way be part of the way to the way Jesus and so let us embrace that calling that John had that we can step that out in our lives and shine that light and and everything we do it's not always necessarily praying for someone or 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 blatantly sharing the gospel, although that should be something that we are working out constantly. But even in just the way that we smile at someone at the shops, the way that we live and the and the you know the honest business choices that we make, or that there's so many opportunities that we have to go, look at look at the Jesus. That's him, you know? And this, you know, another thing about John's ministry is he was pretty he was pretty hardcore, actually, and we'll get into some of that later. But his main deal was repent. That was his word. Like, he's, that's, that's the word that we hear from John speaking to the people that came to see him, repent. And so we mustn't forget that word. We must consider that in preparing a way to encounter Jesus, that first step is repent. That, that, that is a moment, that is how we prepare our hearts and how we, that, that's a key on that journey, right? Like that is, we cannot skip that step. Repentance, acknowledging our sin, admitting our sin so that there's space for Jesus to come in and heal those parts. And because he does, he wants to forgive us, but it's very awkward to forgive someone who doesn't admit that they're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> Occasionally we have that, don't we? We're like, well, I've chosen to forgive you. And I know you don't think that that needs to happen, but it does. So I'm going to. <laughs> but in order to have that, that wholeness in Christ, it starts with repentance. We are all sinners. And John was so cool because he was pretty tough. He was pretty full on. Repent, repent. And they're like, okay, you're right. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. What now? It was the perfect moment to then meet Jesus, Right? Because if someone doesn't think anything's wrong, they're not so inclined to necessarily come to church or turn to Jesus. Because they're fine. Why would I? I love it. I'm going to brunch. I don't need church. I don't need God. But when you know that something's not quite right, I need something to fix the not quite rightness. And that thing is Jesus. So that, that repentance, we mustn't fear that or ignore that or quench that. It's, it's, a, it's a holy moment. And it's, it's the beginning of a very loving, gracious encounter with Jesus. It's not like, if you admit that you're wrong, then you're wrong and you're a sinner. And, you, you know, it's like, no, that's the step into a life of righteousness. He has so much grace for us. He's so ready to pour out that grace and fill our hearts with his love. And it just starts with that repentance. I'm wrong, Lord. Like Matt, you know, so just like I'm going to find all the loopholes in this religion and then it's like, ah, 
I'm not smarter than the Bible. Okay. Like that's a, that step, that humility, that moment of going, oh, okay, I'm wrong. He's right. That's the start. And, you know, so this is John's call. It's this incredible ministry that he had. And one of the key significances of his call is that he said yes to it. None of those prophecies matter. None of that, that calling and that setup and all of that is void if he resisted it, if he rejected it and went, no, I don't, there's, oh, they're putting so much pressure on me. I don't want all this. I don't want this life. Like I want to just do. He said yes to it and he went all in. He leaned in. He completely yielded to the radical call that was on his life. And so that's my second point is that he was different. When I first introduced, when I first said John the Baptist, what was the first thing you thought? Locusts, honey, camel's hair. Matthew 3 verse verse 4, it says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. He was a wild man. Have you had locusts? Have you ever eaten locusts? I was trying to, I've eaten bugs in, have you, yeah, have you as well, Thailand, yeah. I was on a work trip and they like took me to these markets and then they're like, oh, the bugs. And so you're like, I have to be polite and like eat the locusts. Actually, I'll eat anything. I'll try it. I'm, I like trying stuff. They were fine, actually. They're just crunchy, like they're dried out, you know, so they're just crunchy, crispy little. I had horse sashimi in Japan. That was worse. That is raw horse that they served me for dinner. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ah, very gracious guest. Where can I get a burger right now? Yeah. And actually, again, it was fine. If you don't think about it, it was just like bland sashimi. But anyway, the lo- okay, so locusts, I've had that crunchy. And then honey, obviously, we've all had honey. Delicious. I was thinking about honey and it reminded me of the weird honey pot house outside Coffs Harbour. Do you guys know this place? It's, it's a big honey pot. James is nodding. It's like, and it sells honey and porcelain dolls. Classic combo. You know, that classic, like nothing weird here, guys. It's just honey and porcelain dolls. You know, you know how every family needs to stop on the way to their holiday to get their honey and their porcelain doll. Like, we liked it, but I'm looking back, I'm like, that place was really weird. Like, that's creepy. And I remember dad and Luke were very, because I don't like eating just honey on its own, but they were, the little paddle pop sticks. Oh, this is blue gum. This is like ugh, all this honey, just like sugar, man. Like just honey and then porcelain dolls, creepy little dolls staring at you. Like, what a straight. I'm definitely going back. I got to take the kids there. <laughs> so, the honey house, that's honey. Honey's delicious. Actually, Margot gave us some of their homemade fresh honey. Well, I can't taste the difference. Honey's honey to me. But Caleb was like, Where did you get that honey? I was like, it's Margot. She gave it to him and he's like, it's so good. So he has a real palate for honey. So honey's actually delicious. Like honey's a treat, you know, but it was wild. That was what he was, that's what he had out there. Locusts, honey. He wore the camel's, camel's hair. The belt makes it kind of cool though. I feel like that was a stylistic choice as well as functional. He's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Like, <laughs> I just know I would have liked John the Baptist. Hey, like he's just, he's a cool guy. But it's just this interesting picture of a life that is a bit wild, a bit different, and ultimately he's given up a lot of the traditional comforts of life and he's 
leaned into a life of simplicity. He's not pursuing daily worldly comfort so much as he's he's just not participating in that part of life. He's just like, whatever's out here, I'll do. Yep, close, done. I'm not kind of going there, you know. And it's just an important way of thinking that we don't have to, and in many ways shouldn't, like play the world's game. Like there's so many things that the world tells us ought to be important and we need to consider, is that important? Does that matter? Do we? Do I need to make that part of my pursuit? And there's just so much that we can fill up on. I mean, look at those, those things specifically was what he ate and what he wore. And Jesus talks about this later in Matthew 6.25. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Life is more than food and clothing. And I feel like in Western society, we can get a little preoccupied with those two things. Or put it this way, what I will consume and how I will present myself. You can spend a whole lot of time and energy and emotion on those two things. What am I putting in and what am I watching and reading and seeing and consuming and how do I present myself to the world and how do I appear and what is my social media, what does the grid look like and what is that, you know, like all this stuff and it's like it's a weapon of the enemy to distract us and numb us and John was like, I'm not having any of that. I'm in the wilderness and I'm seeking the Lord and we need to make sure that we have time in the wilderness, that we just lay aside that stuff. I mean, I really liked in lockdown just just not even looking in the mirror. Like not even, we did our COVID week a few weeks ago and just, I don't even know, like I just wore the same thing. Like just, I mean, that's also a maternity leave thing. Like I just, the clothes I wore, man, like it was just like, just not even thinking about it. Just not even, just like, ah, let's just make sure that we are spending some time in the wilderness because that's what it says before. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. That is where God spoke to him. That is where the spirit fell. That is where he heard from the Lord in the wilderness, in the quiet, away from the worldly distractions, the noise and the clutter that can so easily creep in and take all of our energy and emotion and distract us. And we need to make sure that we are diligent in rejecting that. I had a bit of a crazy week and I was, you know, with the kids to bed, having a bit of like a reset. Okay, got to get a game plan. Got to, you know, when you're like, it's got to be better tomorrow. What, what's my approach for tomorrow? I got to, tomorrow has to look different. And I just, I read something and I was like, okay, I just, I'm not going to have my phone out, which I know is so trivial and silly, but it, it really had an impact on the day. The whole morning, I just didn't even look at my phone. Sorry if anyone tried to ring me, but I just ignored the calls. And it was really good. I just, because you so, it's like I'm doing my shopping list and a work email and replying to a friend and the BAFTA red carpet. And it's like, oh my goodness, forget it. Like children, life, you know? So yeah, these things, eh? Like they can be great, but make sure that they're, because then you're like, oh, I'll I'll read the Bible. And then you're like, oh, actually another different app, more interesting. Like, come on. So then I got, Junie's got a Gideon. So then I had that because it's like, there's no other apps in the Gideons. It's just the Bible. <laughs> Judy loves the Gideons. <laughs> so, yeah, we just want to make sure that we are filling up on Jesus and not allowing worldly distractions to, 
to fill us up, basically. John completely yielded to this radical life. And, you know, it's easy to look at someone like John and go, well, he was radical. You know, that was what he wanted because he was this wild man. And sometimes we look at, you know, very mature Christians and go, well, they're, you know, they're super full on, like they're super Spiro and I'm just me, you know, I'm just a normal Christian. It's like, yeah, but we all have this opportunity to lay it down. And why not? Why not be a super radical, full-on, Spiro, mature Christian? I think we could do with a few more of those. Like, why, why not? Don't, like, don't be like, no, I'm just going to, you know, be more normal. Like, let's be full-on. There's nothing in the Bible about like, well, you keep your faith, but just make sure it's moderate so that you can also, no, no, no. We go all in. Why not? Hot or cold? Hot or cold? John said this. He's speaking about Jesus. Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. That was the crux of his holiness. His whole posture was, I, I will decrease. My sense of self and my pursuit of just, it's a dying to self. And let Jesus increase in us. Do you ever feel like you're decreasing? I feel like that, again, is like a specific stay-at-home mum feeling when you're just like, I'm just like a sh-. I had the craziest morning the other day, okay? I can't even – it was like, are you kidding? This, if you wrote this into a movie, you'd be like, it's a bit much. Like, just maybe – there's. we've had the full wake-up. Caleb's already gone to work. There's a crazy nappy explosion all the way through to the mattress protector. So I'm stripping things, dealing with that, showering babies. Then the toddler, a full projectile vomit, like – over the floor she's sick okay so we've got those two then I'm trying to put Estelle down the baby she she's like yay she's crawling she pulls a pot plant that is this high on top of her there's dirt all over that so we've got one two three I'm trying to I've got the cleaner coming so I'm trying to tidy the house so that she's not like you you can't leave this for me like so I'm like and I get both kids in the car tidy tidy okay yep go just grab stuff like I haven't even had a sip of water brush my teeth forget it like it's just like Okay, look, okay, lock the house. Is the house locked? Okay, yeah, house locked. Get in the car. Okay. Keys are inside. My keys are in the house. So Bethany's shaking her head like, it's okay, Beth, you can do it. Um, my keys are inside. So then we've got like a lockbox for the spare key like we used to Airbnb our house. So I ring Caleb and I'm like, what's the key to the, what's the, key to the lockbox? Because both girls are screaming in the car. Like I need to get the engine going so that Estelle will fall asleep. So I'm like, what's the code? And he's like, is everything okay? It's fine. What's the code? What's the code? Uh, it's the last four digits of my phone number. What's your phone number? So I get in the house, get the keys, put the spare key back, uh, drive away. Anyway, that was the morning. I, I won't even keep going, but it kept going. The day kept going. And I talked to mum at the end of the day, just and I was like, I'm just like an empty shell of a person. <laughs> like... Talk about decreasing, you know, and the, it's, you know, the world would say like, now you need to take back your sense of self and, and fight out and carve out time for yourself. And, you know, those are valid concepts. Like, of course, <laughs> I needed a shower at least, but it's actually, we can decrease because then Jesus will increase in us. And that is where the real nourishment comes. That is like self-care I want Jesus care you know like I want I want him to fill me up I want oh it is it's a it's a much more nourishing replenishing way to go about our day when we when we allow ourselves to be poured out and and that death I mean Paul said I die daily 
like dying to self. That is a biblical principle that we are called to. And in that, Jesus is alive in us. Jesus fills us up. I can decrease because he will increase in me. And that is how we become holy. That is how we can thrive in him and grow in him. And that is just a picture of glory in our lives. Another translation says, he must become greater. I must become less. We want to be great like John the Baptist. We just allow Jesus to be greater in us. So he was called. He was different. And the third thing was he was fearless. John told truth to power. He was unafraid. So Matthew 3, 7, when the Pharisees came to his baptism, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You brood of vipers. And actually Jesus used that term later as well, brood of vipers. So it must have been like a, an old school slur or something. I quite like it. Because we, yeah, we recognize a brood of vipers every now and then in society. You're like, that's a brood. But he just called it out. Pardon me. And then... In Mark 6.17, we hear about this. For Herod himself, this is the king, had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. John had repeatedly told Herod, you have no right to be living with your brother's wife. He's rebuking the king, being like, this is messed up. What's going on here? Like that. And I was reading about this family trying to like make sense of the brother, wife, and that, that is like the messiest, gnarliest, like that is a wicked, nasty family, man. Like that, that was all incestual, betrayal, like, and John just called it out. And he, it says he said repeatedly. So he was under threat. He knew what could happen, but he kept, he kept doing it. He kept rebuking them because that was what he felt to do. He didn't back down and it cost him. He was put in prison. I listened to a podcast, um, Jay John has a really cool podcast where he interviews people and he had one with John Lennox who is a scientist, mathematician, old school guy. Actually, Caleb, we were driving down to the south coast and Caleb recommended it and, he, and I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, no, it's good. It's like it's Jay John and he's interviewing. I'm like, old Anglican minister interviews old mathematician. Like, really? Hamish and Andy? Like, you want to... Okay, so, but it was amazing. Definitely listen to it. It was really good. And um, this guy, John Lennox, is so cool. So he ended up becoming like an apologist. And he, when he was a student at Cambridge, he actually heard C.S. Lewis lectures. And uh, he was at a dinner. They had these sort of fancy dinners and, and when he was a student. And he was seated next to this Nobel Prize winner, this scientist. And he said, like, he'd never met a Nobel Prize winner before. It was pretty exciting. And he's asking him questions. And, and then he said... Because this guy, John Lennox, is like really cool, hardcore Christian. And he said, did any of your research lead you to think that there might be an intelligence behind the universe? And the science, the Nobel guy really bristled. He did not like that. And he actually just sort of turned and ended up talking to his neighbour for the rest of the dinner. So John Lennox is like, okay, I'll drop that. And he thought that would be the end of it. But then at the end of the dinner, this Nobel Prize winner calls him into his office and he's gathered a couple of other senior university professors and just him, this one undergrad science student. And they, he says, do you want to pursue a, a career in science? And he said, yes. And he said, then you need to give up this naive faith in God. It will cripple you intellectually. You will be a joke among your peers. You will not succeed. 
And Jay John's like, what, in the interview, says, what did you say to him? And, he said, and then the guy says, well, first I uttered a silent prayer. It's like, okay, God, I'm beat. What do I? And then he asked him, well, what, what have you got for me? What else would there be for me? And if, if not this, and they're, and they're so, well, that, you know, there's French philosophy and there's all the, you know, this talking about all this sort of stuff. And, and, he, and then he says, if that's all you've got for me, I'm going to take the risk. And he walked out of the office. And it's just this incredible moment of courage. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's one of those really strong, like he's a mate. But he says, it was a terrifying incident. That's what he said. But it put steel into my heart. He was like, and so there will come moments in our life where we need to draw some lines and some sand and own some of the choices that we've made. If we're going to embrace a life that is yielded to the Lord, it's going to look different. The world is going to notice and they're not going to like it. And sometimes you'll be in, a, in an atmosphere and a space and, and it's cool for a while and then there's going to be some moments and you'll feel it and you go, okay. And, I, you know, I've had those moments like, all right, I'll, I'll love you. I'll be a fr- Oh, no, I'm sorry. I can't attend that particular celebration or that. You know, like you, there's moments to draw a line in the sand and make sure that you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit in those moments and the Lord is with us. It, can, it takes courage, but God is with us in those moments. He uttered that silent prayer and then he confronted the Nobel Prize winning scientist and said, you got nothing for me, and he left. And this guy became an incredible minister of the gospel scientist. He debated Richard Dawkins. It's on YouTube. He was an incredible guy, still is. And if he had folded and gone, oh, well, I just want the faculty to embrace me and I want to be, he would be some small nothing dude. Like, but he felt a call on his life and he would not back down. And we too can embrace that kind of courage. You know, yeah, as Dad was saying, Caleb and I got married super young. And then there were some people that were very upset about it. No one that was important in our life, like everyone that knew us, like was embraced the idea. But just random people like, oh, they're so young, they're so, they're so young. But I'm like, you don't have to do it. Like, just relax. Like, that was so, well, why? Why? Because we want to. Like, it, they, it was, they just didn't like it. And it's because it's like it was a bit different and it was a bit godly. or You know, like people, the world's going to notice and that's okay. Don't be afraid of those moments. Be brave because God is with us. And if he has called you to make choices that look different, he will be with you to own them you know, and, and to make a stand maybe in your family. That's hard. Like, no, guys, this is who I am now. This is what I'm about. God is with us in those moments. So let us be brave. And then, so John the Baptist, he's in prison and he's actually, he's getting to the end of his life and he probably knows it. And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the coming one or do we look for another? So it's this really interesting moment. He's, he's in prison and this conjecture about whether John the Baptist was actually doubting like if Jesus was the Messiah or if he was maybe just trying to get his story straight of like is this guy who I'm hearing about the same guy that I baptize and but what I like about it is that his eyes were on the prize he was still pursuing Jesus he was still pursuing the Messiah he was in prison and he did not abandon his faith I go well that didn't work cool thanks for the great big fancy calling now I'm in jail like he was like, okay, well, Jesus, what's happening? What's happening, Lord? Are you, is it you or do I look for another? Because I'm still looking. I'm not giving up. And I just, I just like that, that in those, those moments of lowness, it was just all about Jesus. He was just so, it was just completely yielded, radical, leaning in to, to Jesus. And 
John never left prison. He was beheaded. The chick who danced for Herod, then the mother was like, I'll, I'll give you anything. And he's like, I'll, I would like John the Baptist's head on a platter. And that's what they gave her. And they beheaded him and brought the head. Like, I mean, that's so... We had these kids' Bibles in the 90s that had the drawing of John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And that image has never left me. Like when you're six, like Bible stories, like Noah's Ark, and then you're like, ah! <laughs> a head. <laughs> Freaky. Like, I don't know if they're still doing those kids' Bibles. So they're probably not in print anymore. But they re- do you know that I'm talking about? It was like horizontal. Freaky. So I'll never forget how John the Baptist died because that has stuck with me a long time. But, you know, like the head on the platter is so messed up, but it's like this, you know, this trophy of like we won, didn't we? And, you know, there would have been a moment when Jesus breathed his last on the cross where the devil was like, got him, got him. But we know that wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning of glory. And so even though it cost him everything, he went on to glory in eternity with him. And I don't think that we're going to have to physically lay down our life, but we could get just as close. We could lay down it. Lord, I'll do it. I'll give it up, whatever. I want that radical life in the wilderness. I want a yielded heart that is all in for God's plan for me because there was prophecies about John's life that were hundreds of years old and he fulfilled them. He walked out his calling to his last breath. And I want to do that. I want to go all the way through and go, yeah, I did it. I, that, whatever God has for me, I, I got it. I did it. I went there. Why not, church? And, you know, this amazing thing, as I'm, I'm just wrapping up, I'll get the band to come up. It says, truly I tell you, thanks, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So we now go further. We now can be greater than John because we have the Holy Spirit. It's like what Jesus said where he's like, you will do more than me because I'm going to the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So this is just the beginning. These ministries, this this glory, that's just the start. Now we have the Holy Spirit. We can... We can go even further. We, we stand on the shoulders of these giants and, and, and glimpse heaven in our lives. So let's not lose heart. Even in those moments where we may be confronted by the world or tempted or, or challenged or just kind of feel like we're getting sucked into some of these worldly comforts, let's stay close to Jesus with our eyes and our hearts and our ears fixed on Him because that is where the glory is. That is where our purpose remains and we can be fulfilled in Him. We can decrease and He can increase in our lives. Let us be fearless in our pursuit of all that Jesus has for us, just like John was. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. I pray that all of us, this moment, would just be so eager for more of you, to live a little bit radical in our pursuit of all that you have for us. And I pray that this week we would be fearless, that we would help lead the way for people to Jesus, that we would be part of their journey, Lord God, that we would be completely yielded so that you can work through us, Lord, 
as we fulfil our purpose in You. Thank You that You have a purpose for everyone in this room. Church, I just feel like, know that this Word is for You, that that purpose is for You, You, that that your life is called, that you, that you, that God has great plans for you and your life. And all we have to do is say, yes, Lord. I pray that there would be a great, strong yes in our hearts today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.